jazz to me is a state of life being a state of existence. You can't learn it in uh, college or universities. It's something that you never experience. Antipod, the Radical Geography Podcast and Sound Collective. I'm Alex Moulton. And I'm Brian Williams. And Alex, we are here in Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah, this is my first time in Birmingham. And um, I am really excited to be uh, not just here in Birmingham, but to be here in Birmingham talking about the things that we'll be talking about today on the podcast. Yes, uh, there's a, there are two reasons we came here. One, we're both back in the South. Uh, you've been up in Massachusetts, right? Um, but at Middle Tennessee State, and I've finally moved back to Mississippi, and this is literally a midpoint between us. Yeah, and uh, not only that, but just um, the work that is uh, the, the focus of the podcast today really considers Birmingham as an important center of uh, Southern industrialization. Um, but also uh, really a crucial site of uh, you know the civil rights struggle. Um, and as I was driving in last night, that history that looms um, over Birmingham or that informs the sort of atmosphere of Birmingham really sort of weighed on me a little bit as I drove past the 16th Street Baptist Church and um, the MLK Center um, adjacent to it. I, I really was reminded of the, the nature of the struggle, the images that we have come to associate with the civil rights struggle here in the South. Um, so many of them are from Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Both the, the violence of resistance to civil rights and the violence of white supremacy. But Birmingham was nicknamed Bombingham yeah. uh, because of that violence, but also the, the ways in which Birmingham was an epicenter for the movement for black freedom in the South. And I think Dr. Wilson's work really does put both of those in context um, and provides a real model for thinking about race and place while taking seriously uh, the questions of capitalism and capital accumulation here in Birmingham. So that's really brought us to Red Mountain where we're sitting right now. Yeah, um, I I want to sort of comment on something related to your description of, of Dr. Wilson's work just now, the connections between race, space, and economic practices. And that's something that I was thinking about in a very embodied and perhaps even visceral way this morning as we were um, having breakfast. Mm-hmm. I think um, we both realized at the same moment that the place we chose to eat um, was such that I was the only uh, black man sitting there. And I couldn't help but think about the Greensboro Four and think about the ways in which the uh, economic processes that um, produce some of the racialization of space and the spatialization of race are still so strikingly visible, even in um, places like Birmingham, that have uh, had to struggle with those questions and with what it means to have racial and spatial practices connect in the way that they have here. And so, yeah, as as we sit here on Red Mountain, I am really um, sort of caught uh, caught up in in uh, thinking about all of these processes that have touched down here in Birmingham, looking out um, 
down on the city of Birmingham looking at the cranes um, and that new wave of construction that seems to be taking place. But the smokestacks that evidence uh, a past that is present. So I, I guess it does seem pretty appropriate um, for, for this to be called Red Mountain. Uh, much of this mountain has a rusty color from the presence of iron ore. Uh, this mountain and that ore is, is important to understanding the history of Birmingham and the history of capitalism in the United States. You know, the iron and uh, coal industries were central to the rise of Birmingham as an industrial city after the Civil War. In fact, we're immediately underneath a statue of Vulcan, the Roman god of the forge, which towers over this mountain. It's uh, the largest cast iron statue in the world. So iron made Birmingham, and Birmingham is, is very proud of its iron. Uh, well, you could say that, but that certainly isn't the whole story. Um, I'd probably say it isn't a quarter of the story. Yeah, I guess we can't rely on the Vulcan statue to tell us the story of Birmingham, even if it is a kind of synodoche. <laughs> uh, nope, he's had that same serious look on his face, a comically serious look on his face, uh, since 1904, but I don't think he's said much of anything. I know who has said much. We're going to be relying on the work of Dr. Bobby Wilson. Dr. Wilson's work was a subject of two panel presentations at the Association of American Geographers annual meeting in 2019. Um, in our episode, we tap into those panels that were titled uh, Reframing Marxism and Race, the scholarship of Bobby Wilson. The panels included Wilson in conversation with interlocutors who reflected on his work and his mentorship. Uh, that included Adam Bledsoe, uh, Joe Darden, Ruth Wilson Gilmore, Perla Guerrero, Wendy Chang, uh, Benjamin Rubin, and Dr. Uh, Willie Wright. Dr. Bobby Wilson is a professor emeritus at the University of Alabama, so only about 100 or so miles uh, west of us right now. Oh. Um, he wrote a couple books about Birmingham, America's Johannesburg, Industrialization and Racial Transformation in Birmingham, which was released in 2000, and Race and Place in Birmingham the Civil Rights and Neighborhood Movements, which was also released in 2000. And as I wonder if I'll ever publish a book, I look back <laughs> at these two monumental texts and uh, I'm, I'm still quite impressed. So along with uh, Dr. Wilson's four decades of comprehensive work on capitalist economic transformation, the geographies of race, and racial justice, these books have helped create space for black geographies. But before we go any further, let's hear from Dr. Wilson about how this work came to be. You know, I grew up on a, uh, a farm uh, in North Carolina, a tobacco farm, you know. And my father, and I participated as a high school student, I participated in the uh, civil rights demonstration that, you know, location, you know, we're talking about location, you know, looking at things at that level. Well, you know, the actual, those, all those uh, civil rights demonstrations uh, that you read about in the paper in the 19, if you live in the, like in the 1970, 1960, you looked at all, all those civil rights, you know, they, t they took place in a local place. You know, it was local people, you know, 
every, it's almost like everyday resistance. My grandfather uh, used to come by and uh, in his pickup truck, and he said, "Okay, uh, we marching today." <laughs> you know, it was just like it was part of the everyday. We marched, you know, in that sense. That's what I. That's sort of the environment in which I, I grew up in, in that sense. Uh, you know, resisting. You know, my grandfather. You know, he, uh, he was pretty radical dude. You know, <laughs> I mean, he said some things. That, you know, I I even wondered myself as a little kid. You know, God. <laughs> you know, but we had, to, you know, there were those individuals like that, uh, you know, and uh, then I go to Birmingham, ooh, yeah. Birmingham, Birmingham, <laughs> you know, and, and there was something about Birmingham that I said, ah, uh, that, uh, you know, we need to take a look at, you know, and I think. Need to take a look at it in that sense, you know. And again, as Joe Darden said, during that time, you know, with a whole lot of people doing that type of research, and a lot of what I, and they definitely was doing what I was doing, you know. And some people sort of suggested that I shouldn't go in that direction, mm -hmm. you know. Oh yeah, That's true. you know that I shouldn't go in that direction in that sense. But I did go in that direction. And I'm glad I did go in that direction because as long as America exists, there's always going to be that race factor. Mm -hmm. And you cannot, you cannot ignore that fact in that sense. If America exists, race exists. I would like to, you know, conclude that one day, Things would be all right, but but it just become a part of our being. Mm -hmm. It's become a part of our being in that sense. And when I got to uh, Birmingham, um, I went there. You know, I was hired as a professor in the Department of Urban Studies at the University of Alabama, Birmingham, and. Um, uh, you know, I really did see it, mm -hmm. you know. When I got there, there was something about it. I really did see it. And uh, when I was at downtown library in Birmingham, uh, I went into the Southern History section. I spent a lot of time in the Southern History section. So, sorry. And uh, then all of a sudden, I looked up on the wall there, and there was this canvas, painted canvas. And it was a map. And it was a racial zoning map. Mm -hmm. It was a racial zoning map in that sense. So they were actually, you know, projecting this thing out, you know. <laughs> you know, they didn't try to hide it eventually. I think they did eventually take it down <laughs> in that sense. But for a long time, for a number of years, uh, yeah, it stayed up there. And... Um, and that, that was a pivotal moment in my research, okay? I finally figured out what I needed to do in that side. And that's where it's all, all, of, all began.
Birmingham, the industrial city of the South. Also one of the most significant places in the civil rights struggle. The dogs, the water hose, turned loose on kids. Uh, remains a vivid image in our head today. Birmingham, the industrial city of the South. And as we said earlier, um, a hub of white supremacist violence, but also, quite importantly, an epicenter of black freedom. Dr. Wilson's work emerges from these tensions and helps make sense of them in ways that can inform present and future struggles against racial capitalism. Dr. Wilson's work is informed by and oriented toward collective liberation, and in the process he has shaped the discipline of geography. For his enduring contributions to geographic scholarship, Dr. Wilson has received the AAG Presidential Achievement Award, the AAG Lifetime Achievement Honor, um, and the AAG Harold M. Rose Award for Anti-Racism Research and Practice. Wilson challenges us to, to quote, situate race, not only in a historical context, but also in a historical geographical context. That is, to expose the skeletons of places and plant the flesh of black experience on those bones as well. I am quoting here from Wilson's 2002 article in The Professional Geographer titled Critically Understanding Race-Connected Practices, a reading of W.E.B. Du Bois and Richard Wright. And one of the points that Dr. Wilson makes in that paper, Alex, that resonates so much with me is the reminder that, quote, social practices are not only historically specific, but geographically or place-specific, even in the age of globalization. Whereas a critical theory of race requires sensitivity to historical structures in capitalist development, a critical geography of race-connective practices requires sensitivity to the ways in which regional regimes of accumulation transform racial practices. Yeah, Dr. Wilson's work really shows us that neither race nor racism are unchanging. Instead, what he shows is the meaning of race changes in relation to the historical and geographically specific ways that capitalism draws upon racism as a way of organizing space and securing profitability. Yes, Alex, I think that's one of his major contributions in the way that he talks about race-connected practices rather than using a sort of nebulous uh, conception of racism as this all-encompassing thing that is uh, eternally unchanging. Uh, by focusing on race-connected practices, he forces us to do that work of thinking about how race takes place. Um, and in the process, he's provided a really powerful historical geography and a multifaceted historical geography of Birmingham. Yeah. Uh, those race-connected practices, um, his examination of them, are really centered here on Birmingham as a study um, in uh, the way that the changing dynamics of capitalism um, have shaped the U.S. South. Um, and so through a focus on Birmingham, he shows that slavery and the plantation system profoundly shaped the specificities of regional development. He argues that the plantocracy here in, in Alabama resisted attempts to replace the plantation economy, but were in favor of a system of industrialization in which the plantation would, would remain a kind of primary market now for manufactured goods. Now, plantation owners and the plantation um, elite resisted any democratic redistribution of wealth, land, and power that could have served as a basis for the development of competitive 
industrial capitalism as occurred in a lot of northern um, and midwestern industrial cities. But uh, following the Civil War, an industrial system of mining and manufacturing was developed here in Birmingham. Many of the early industrialists in the city came from plantation backgrounds. Both plantation owners and industrialists maintained what Wilson calls a monopoly mode of social regulation. Sharecropping and industry alike were highly exploitative, and racism was absolutely central to the development of this extractive system of industrialization, which differentiated Birmingham from those industrial cities outside of the South. Wilson writes that Birmingham's early industrialists, quote, demanded control of labor at almost the level known under slavery. He writes that industry, quote, sanctioned racial ideology and white supremacy to mask inequality. Yeah, I mean, his work really takes seriously race and regions um, as, as crucial to understanding the reproduction and the dynamics of, of capitalism in Birmingham, but also in, in the South by extension. Um, I, I think he uh, says it really well in, in, in this bit of um, the discussion from the panel. Well, let's listen to that now. So Birmingham, you know, had uh, went through different regimes of accumulation. You know, it went through different regimes in that sense. What regulations theory call uh, uh, there was the extensive regime of accumulation, which is an example of that was slavery, where you know you generate value, wealth through ownership of slaves. That's the extensive and the intensive regime uh, is that one where uh, you use mechanization to squeeze as much from labor. Uh, as possible in that in that sense, okay, and that that helped provide me with a framework for looking at um, looking at Birmingham in that sense. And I just want to say one thing about Birmingham's regime in that sense: it was uh, it was a form of capitalism with the in which the planter class uh, stayed in power at through the whole industrialization process. They, they were able to maintain that control. And it was a racist regime, you know, because most of the capitalists that came into Birmingham, uh, for example, came from plantation background. They came, they, that idea of labor was slaves, the ownership of slaves. Those are the people that you had running Birmingham in that sense. So there's no question, you know, I'm not surprised that one of the most significant places in the civil rights struggle was Birmingham. It didn't surprise me at all because I was working on that and I saw the connection. I was able to, you know, put together the dots you know, and they fell right in place in, in that sense. So I know that I, you know, I really appreciate uh, 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 the work that a lot of people have done, using my work and so forth. But you know, uh, it didn't take a rocket science to figure out <laughs> <laughs> what the connection was in that sense. You know, you know, they fit pretty well. 
I think most of you in here, many of you in here, if you had gone to Birmingham when I went to Birmingham <laughs> and looked at that map and so forth, yeah, I see what you mean. I see it too, <laughs> you know, in that sense. That's how Birmingham was. It was one of the most unique cities, really, uh, given its history and so forth uh, that, we, uh, that we have in, uh, in America in that sense. You know, Alex, those comments from Dr. Wilson resonate with the themes that we've been really focused on in our first season of Antipod. The panel impacts more than just his discussions of the transformations of Birmingham's racial and spatial realities, but also the lineage of black geographic scholarship and the work of doing black scholarship. I like that about the panel as well, Brian. The attention to clarifying the stakes of black scholarship really shows that scholarship needs to be as clear as it is thorough um, if we are to clarify how capitalism reconfigures itself based on regional um, geographies. That is a point that is um, related to, to sort of the, the broader appeal of the panel to me. And I like um, what Wendy Cheng had to say um, about the nature of this kind of scholarship. Um, and she, she asks it, I think, um, in a question that, that puts us on the spot to really ethically engage with the scholarship we, we do. And she says, or she asks rather, who do we teach for and for what purpose? So succinct, but I think so probing. Mm-hmm. Um, she also talked about the, pers- the perpetual change or, or, uh, or the, the need to, to perpetually challenge ourselves um, to not just um, learn from scholars like Bobby Wilson, but to think with them. Um, In a similar way, I think that Dr. Willie Wright, in his summary of the panel, uh, talks about the the way we kind of become scholars and activists. And um, maybe we can just like cut cut here to have Willie join us sort of sonically um, to articulate that point. I wasn't taught Dr. Wilson's work. I came, I, I don't know how I found Dr. Wilson's work. <laughs> but I found it, right, somehow. And I think partly maybe because we were, uh, Adam and I were in grad school together, so we were reading similar things, right? But there's this way in which many of us coming up as uh, scholars of color, we have to like meander our way to wherever, we're, who, whatever kind of scholar we're gonna be. And for those of you who are fortunate enough to have a, someone like uh, Ruthie and others, right, to to bring you on, like, no, this is what you're gonna, like, you need, <laughs> read this. <Yeah. laughs> read this and then we'll talk later, right? <laughs> I think that's really significant because now there's the Black Geography Specialty Group, and as Perla mentioned, there's the Latinx Specialty Group, and there's a generation of uh, graduate students coming up who have not heard of Dr. Wilson, right? Right? Uh, and may think that Myself, Adam, or Catherine are, oh yeah, that's, that's black geography. They're like, nah, right? I think there's a potential for people to misassign uh, uh, the significance of people worked without, because we haven't had that certain kind of pedagogical training to, to see the lineage, right? That is Dr. Wilson, that is Don Deskins, right? Um, and their contemporaries. So, and then lastly, I kind of want to touch on the fact that we talk about in geography about this spatial turn that happened, right, uh, in like the like mid, late 60s, where people are, uh, geographic scholars were intentionally thinking about spatial theory. And I think the work of uh, Dr. Wilson and his uh, colleagues, his contemporaries, uh, was 
a clear example of that, but because they were forced to do it, they were really forced to like, one, they were forced in a sense to do this quantitative research coming out of HBCUs, which is another thing I want to touch on, right? Uh, you were forced to kind of do this kind of quantitative research because that was what geography was, but then having the kind of gall to recreate yourself, right? To recreate yourself, to be able to answer the questions that you have in your mind, right? Uh, and I think that's a model for all of us as scholars, right, to kind of be open to doing the difficult heavy lifting that is necessary, right, to answer these questions, to recreate ourselves. And then lastly, touching on the fact that Dr. Wilson comes out of HBCU. And there was a panel yesterday about the significance of HBCUs to the field of geography in the present, right? How can we recreate these connections with historically black colleges and universities that have geosciences departments that have geography departments or environmental studies departments, right? But that uh, we as professors, right, aren't intentionally looking literally across the train tracks to the HBCU to recruit our students, whereas we're recruiting from all over the global south, right, to kind of diversify our student body where we have black students that are being studied, that are studying, right, geography, environmental studies, and sciences. And I think uh, having an understanding not just of Dr. Wilson's work, but of Dr. Wilson's lineage, right, mm -hmm. Uh, can uh, reinforce that significance and, and kind of uh, push us towards recreating or creating this kind of future of geography uh, that, we, that we are a part of, right, but that we want to see. You know, there's so much in that, Alex, but one of the points Willie makes that really caught my attention is how we sometimes, quote, meander our way to whatever kind of scholar we're going to be. In Dr. Wilson's work, of course, that meandering is through the HPCU through Clark, through different disciplinary modes of analysis. Meandering does not entail indirect or aimless exploration. Rather, what is clear from Dr. Wilson's work is painstaking and truly careful investigation of the socio-spatial manifestation of capitalism's crises in the South. That work insists on the special character of Southern industrialization tied to the methods of racialized control and labor segmentation that made Birmingham's particular industrial capitalist regime possible and profitable. I think that concern with regional regimes of accumulation and place-specific racial formations and, and racial antagonisms is also something that is very valuable um, as an output of Dr. Wilson's work. Because what such analysis means is that Scholarship is a matter of activist practice and theoretical explanation that has to be sort of engaged with a discussion of collective consciousness and the resistance of communities. And by doing that, we don't obscure the stories of oppression, but we shift a focus from a kind of triumphalist capitalist transformation of, of regional spaces. I want to return to something else that Dr. Wright mentioned. That is the lineage of black radical geographic scholarship and activism. Thanks for returning us to that point, Brian. 
that point of return, I think, is crucial for understanding not just Dr. Wilson's work, but that of his contemporaries as well, such as uh, Dr. Joe Darden and Dr. Ruth Wilson Gilmore, who were both on the panel. And the other early uh, black geographers, such as Dr. Hal um, Harold Rose and Dr. Donald Deskin Jr., who eked out uh, this tradition of scholarship and activism that we now understand as black geographies or uh, critical geographies of race and place more broadly. You know, I think Joe Darden provides a really good outline of that lineage. Here's Dr. Darden speaking on the second of those panels. Now, uh, Bobby Wilson started his teaching right after he received the degree, but interesting about Bobby Wilson, he took a job <coughs> in Birmingham, uh, a place that uh, a few years uh, before he got the degree, uh, black rebellions all over the country, 100 cities, including Birmingham and the rest of them, uh, exploded, and uh, the whole situation was very tense at that time in 1970s, which is what I'm uh, referring to at this time. Bobby, at that time, was a very productive scholar. You have to be a very productive scholar. He was at the time. But he had to deal with the situation in Birmingham, in Birmingham, at a university in Birmingham at the time. So unlike us, we, Wilson, excuse me, Rose was at Milwaukee, Deskin was at Michigan, University of Michigan, I was at University at Michigan State, we didn't have to deal with some of the stuff that he had to deal with uh, in Birmingham. Uh, so uh, he then took a job uh, 11 years after George Wallace. 11 years after that. As you recall, George Wallace said his 1963 inaugural address. He said, segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. Bobby had to listen to that stuff. <laughs> what is, what's going on here? So he had to deal with it as a social activist scholar. And that's what he was designed to do. He also, at that time, see, same place where Martin Luther King wrote his letter from the Birmingham jail. All around, Bobby had to say, what would he do as a geographer to deal with this stuff? Well, Bobby started to do research, what he often does, right? <laughs> Racial segregation trends in Birmingham. He published in 1985 in the Southeastern Geographer. 1999, he published Teaching Race and Geography. Imagine teaching race and geography. At that time, teaching race and geography. It's nothing like today like then. In the Journal of Geography, published in 1999. Right? And then Bobby started to attend the Race, Ethnicity, and Place conferences. Another conference, if you don't know about it, you should be aware of it. We meet every two years, and we talk about issues dealing with race, which you don't hear at a lot of places, right? We do it. And we don't have to debate whether race is a problem or not. <laughs> we all know that. So we go beyond that. We save a lot of time discussing that. <laughs> don't need to do it. Because we don't do that. So Bobby, uh, at the Race that Listen in Place conference, you remember this, Bobby. He was talking to me. He says, I'm writing this book, not just one book, Joe, two books. It takes two to deal with the situation when it comes to race, right? So in 2000, he published both books, same year, Race in Place in Birmingham, the Civil Rights Movement, neighborhood, and then he published another book called uh, America's Johannesburg, Industrialization and Racial Transformation in Birmingham. That's what it took to deal with it, and Bobby dealt with it. Yeah, as I was listening to Dr. Darden, what struck me was how effectively Bobby Wilson critiques regimes of anti-black racial violence and dispossession without representing them as unchanging or fixed, right? As, as capitalism's strategies to reproduce itself change, the modalities of racism change, as do the struggles for freedom and rights. 
we, we can map the geographies of despair, a, a term I'm borrowing from Harold Rose, um, one of Bobby Wilson's contemporaries, but we can also do a work that refuses the dehumanizing logics of dispossession and anti-black racism. That's so important, Alex. And I think the broader point is to really ensure that the critical work we strive toward on race and place does not fix black people in just a position of oppression. I think Dr. Gilmore, in her comments on that panel, makes that point especially well. Certainly here in the United States today, when people think and talk about black people and labor, especially black men and labor, sooner or later people's minds wander to prison. Unfortunately, because the history of slavery, Jim Crow, and then you know the various uh, reconstruction periods between slavery and Jim Crow and between Jim Crow and now uh, toward greater emancipation, tend to be viewed as an unchanging same, people think of mass incarceration today as the new slavery without paying attention to like a simple fact, which is most people who are in prison today are not working for anybody. And a third of the people in prison today are white people. And half of the people in prison today, or two thirds of the people, excuse me, in prison today are people of color and half of those people are would check the box if they had to, black people. If, however, we take Bobby Wilson's analysis seriously and move forward in our work on mass incarceration and the other ills that beset us with the goal of organizing to undo them rather than only to recite the horrors, which we all are really good at doing and never got anybody free, tell me an example of reciting horrors got anybody free. Never happened. All right. Then perhaps it might be more powerful to think about mass incarceration not as neo-slavery but as class war. In other words, if, as Stuart Hall argues, race is the modality through which class is lived, then it, it follows, but we have to show it, uh, so theoretically follows, that mass incarceration is class war. You know, discuss, explain. Uh, and so to, to, to close out here, uh, the question of being concrete, the urgency to be concrete, and the urgency to be specific does not have to lead and should not leave, I'll make a normative statement, to um, thinking that distinctions mean uniqueness, which means encasing a struggle away from another struggle rather than, as Perla was saying this morning, articulating the struggles, whether they're presented as fields of study, black geographies, Latinx geographies. In other words, um, rather than following the pattern of geopolitical organization that global capitalism is really happy to encourage, which is devolution, Right? Making everything seem more local with the illusion of democratic participation, which is not in fact uh, a liberatory uh, power making agenda. If we think of specificity in terms of the, the building blocks of internationalism, then we can go back through Bobby Wilson's work and move ourselves forward uh, with an agenda for freedom. That is a really important challenge to do work that really strives to get people free 
and not just recite the horrors. Listening to the panels, I was really personally and professionally caught up in how much work folks like Bobby Wilson, Joe Darden, Harold Rose, Clyde Woods, uh, Ruth Wilson Gilmore, Latoya Eves, Catherine McKittrick, Ricky Sanders, um, and so many others have all done to make our current moment possible, uh, particularly for me as a, as a black man. Um, they quite literally embodied and enacted a possibility of being that many African-Americans and black folks might have thought would never be a reality. And that sits with me. wind this down by saying Bobby Wilson is that social activist in the tradition of W.B. Du Bois. That's where I put him. He's there, right? As a geographer. We don't get many of those. As a geographer, right? <laughs> we put him there. That's Bobby Wilson. He's there. And so he's received these awards, you see, because of his uh, accomplishment. Always scholarship. Don't forget that. Without that scholarship, Bobby wouldn't be sitting here. He wouldn't be sitting here. That's what's important to those who are coming up today. Now, what I want to say to you is, that group back in the 1970s, all pioneers, paved the way for this new generation, if they'll accept it, to sort of carry on that tradition of scholarship, teaching, of issues, of race, dealing with white supremacy, all the factors that you need to deal with. You can do it better now than we could then because we were so few in number, we're still few now, but a little bit more than we were then. That was a burden we had. And because of Bobby Wilson, we were able to at least achieve something for this next generation to take that baton and move it forward. So Bobby Wilson and I, I guess, are counting on you, young <laughs> generation, to carry it forward. You have to do that. Otherwise, all the effort that we put in may be lost. And we don't need to do that. So thank you, Bobby, for your contributions. Very proud of you. Bobby Wilson. You have been listening to Antipod, a radical geography podcast brought to you by the Antipod uh, Sound Collective. This episode was written and hosted by both myself, Alex Moulton, and Brian Williams. This episode was edited by uh, myself, Brian Williams, and Alex Moulton. The producers of this episode are KT Bender, Allison Guess, Alex Moulton, DP, Akira Drake Rodriguez, and Brian Williams. And we'd like to actually welcome Nerve McCuspick to the podcast. Um, so he's uh, one of the producers of this episode, and you'll get to meet him soon. We remain thankful to the funding and kind support of the Antipode Foundation. We also thank the Vulcan Park and Museum for providing us with a recording space for this episode. Yeah. Um, without them, we would have been recording um, in the windy and chilly conditions here in Birmingham today. Uh, we'd also like to thank the organizers and the cheers um, of the panels on Dr. Wilson's work. And, and all of those folks are Adam Bledsoe, Tina Bruno, Ben Rubin, 
uh, Willie Wright, uh, Wendy Cheng, Joe Darden, Perla Guerrero, uh, Ruth Wilson Gilmore, and of course, Dr. Wilson himself. The industrial sounds on this episode were recorded in Ukraine by Harold Fenster and are part of the archive.org Apori Global Sound Mapping Project. This episode featured the song Art and Jazz by Jazz One and Play It Sam by Genova Seven. Uh, and of course, our theme music is It's Not Jazz by Trunks. All these songs are on the archive.org Net Labels Collection. You know, this episode of Antipod is only possible because of the lifelong and ongoing work of Dr. Bobby M. Wilson. Strength and power to you, Dr. Wilson, as you continue to mentor, inspire, and challenge us. Oh, 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 o